Were you paying attention during that first reading? It's a bit of a downer, wasn't it? In case you weren't listening, here it is. Is not man's life on earth a drudgery? Are not his days those of hirelings? He is a slave that longs for the shade, a hireling who waits for his wages. So I have been assigned months of misery, and troubled nights have been allotted to me. If in bed I say, when shall I arise? And then the night drags on. I am filled with restlessness until the dawn. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. They come to an end without hope. Remember that my life is like the wind. I shall not see happiness again. Wow. Life is a drudgery. Days without hope. I shall not see happiness again. What on earth, we might wonder, is this doing in the Bible? We're told that the Bible is the word of God, and the church encourages us to open up the Bible to find inspiration. We turn to its pages when we feel hopeless, hoping to find hope there. We turn to the scripture when we are unhappy because we're looking for a sense of assurance and comfort We don't expect to find these kinds of lamentations like we do in the book of Job. So why is this in there, in the Bible? Well, we find this text in the Bible because the Bible's not a self-help book. It's not a feel-good bestseller of the summer. The Bible is the inspired word of God. And we find this text in the Bible Because it is true. It is true. Sometimes it does feel like life is a drudgery. It's true. Sometimes we feel like God has assigned us months of misery. Sometimes we do experience sleepless nights that just drag on and on and days that pass too quickly. And sometimes, yes, we feel like our life is without meaning and without purpose and even without hope. Sometimes we feel that way. Sometimes we feel so unhappy that we might not be able to imagine ever being happy again. These are true feelings that people do experience. Praise God, most of us don't feel that way most of the time. But I think we all feel that way some of the time. And maybe some of you feel that way right now. Job felt that way. Job felt that way. And Job had every right to feel that way. The sorrow that's expressed by these words, that's a genuine and authentic human experience. And that's why we find it in the Bible. The Bible is God's word for us. And that word is real and it is true. God is telling us that he knows the depths of human suffering. He understands our pain. The book of Job is the Old Testament's answer to one of the most difficult religious questions mankind can ask, and that is, why do good people suffer? 
Job is a good man. And he is a blessed man. He has a family. He's got a livelihood. He's got a home. He has a good reputation. He has wealth and fortune. And more important than any of those things, he loves God. And he is loved by God. He is a good and God-fearing man. And one day, it all comes crashing down. He loses it all faster than seems possible. And he is considered cursed by all who know him. Why? Why should such a good man experience such sorrow? The answer that comes at the end of the book of Job might not satisfy us, but it's true, and it's perhaps the only honest answer that we can expect. God answers the prayers of Job's anguish essentially by saying, I am God and you are not. That is God's answer to Job's prayer. I am God and you are not. God poignantly reminds Job that he, and not Job, is the creator of heavens and earth. He, and not Job, is all-knowing and all-powerful. He needs no counsel from Job. He does not need to explain himself to Job. He owes Job nothing. Nothing. And so Job repents. And yes, at the end of the text, he is blessed and he finds fortune again. He is rewarded for his faithfulness and as a good reminder to anyone who's suffering that things can get better. But that doesn't erase the fact of Job's suffering. And it doesn't make our suffering any easier in the moment. And it doesn't answer our question, how long, O oh Lord, how long must I endure this? And yet Job, as I said, is the Old Testament's best answer to the problem of suffering. It's the Old Testament's best answer. But it is not God's final answer. What is God's final answer? We meet God's final answer today in the fishing village of Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. A fisherman lives there named Simon with his mother-in-law, who is ill. Now Simon's been spending a lot less time fishing in recent days and a lot more time following around this itinerant rabbi from Nazareth. He's not like other rabbis. He's not a scribe or a Pharisee. He doesn't have any formal training. In fact, he's a carpenter's son. But he speaks as one with authority. He is captivating in unexplainable ways. And he has called Simon away from his nets to be his disciple. And today, he comes into Simon's house. And he sees his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. And he comes to her. And he heals her. He does this sort of thing a lot, as it turns out healing those who are ill. He restores sight to the blind. He opens the ears of the deaf. He cleanses lepers. He causes lame people to walk. One day in the not too distant future, Simon will even see him raise people from the dead. But he's not only concerned with people's physical well-being. This man drives out demons. 
He cures the possessed of their spiritual afflictions. And he teaches the truth with both gentleness and patience, but also conviction and strength. God's final answer to the problem of all human pain and suffering is the person of Jesus Christ, his son, who offers healing for our bodies, for our spirits, and for our minds. In other words, he heals our whole being as persons. And for this purpose, he has come. This healing that's to be found in Christ, it's a definitive healing. And because it's definitive healing, it is not limited to this world. In fact, we might not experience it at all in this world, at least not in the way that Peter's mother-in-law did or the demoniacs that he exercised. Most Christians throughout history have never been miraculously healed or cured of demonic possession. Most Christians have not. And yet every Christian has been healed and restored by Christ because every Christian has been born again a new creation by baptism and joined in a mystical way to Christ's body, that human body that's united by grace with the divine so that union with his body, the body of Christ, means union with God. And we begin to experience that union now, but we will only know it fully, not in this life of imperfection, but in this life to come, this promised to all of those who die in Christ. And that is God's answer to the problem of suffering. Not to remove our suffering in this world, because that would be a falsehood. Suffering is real. Pain is real. And in fact, it's formative. It helps us to become more compassionate and understanding people. What I mean by that is that any pain that we go through, it helps us to relate better to others who go through pain. And therefore, we can love them better because we understand their condition. We understand what they're going through. We can be compassionate with them. And this is how God loves us, after all, right? By sharing in our condition. So God's answer isn't to take suffering away, but it's to transform it. It's to transform it by entering into it himself, by experiencing it with us, literally taking it on his shoulders as he carries the cross and telling us that if we suffer with him, if we suffer with him, then our suffering can be redemptive. In fact, it can be our passage into eternal life. One day, all of our suffering will end. The greatest pain that we experience in this life is still temporary. It's a thing of time. And what Christ offers us, it's not anything as small and fleeting as a happiness that's limited by time, but an everlasting happiness with him in the life to come if we but live with him, if we but die with him. That dying with Christ, it begins with our baptism, but it lasts throughout our life. Every time we say to God, thy will be done, each and every time we accept the trials and the difficulties of our human condition as our share of Christ's passion and endure it with patience and charity. 
The Christian is not someone who never suffers, but someone who suffers well because he suffers with hope and with faith in the one who came to heal all of our infirmities and wipe every tear from our eye. Glory be to Jesus Christ, now and forever. Amen.